Welcome to another episode of Behind the Human. My name is Mark Champagne. It's my job to unpack the mental fitness practices and stories of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. And do we ever have one of those people today? We've got Ben Greenfield on the show, who is a health consultant, speaker, and New York Times bestselling author, a wide variety of books, including the widely popular titles Beyond Training, Boundless, Fit Soul, Spiritual Disciplines Journal, The Boundless Cookbook, and his latest, Endure, which I'm pumped to talk about. There's so much around in that book around spirituality, belief systems, I'd say, just at, at its core, which um, we haven't spent that much time on this show talking about. So I'm pumped. Ben, welcome. What? You haven't spent time talking about the most important thing in the world? <laughs> I know. I'm just kidding, That's man. why you're here. I know, I know you talk about important stuff. <laughs> totally, totally. It's it's there, but I would say uh, just just knowing that the content of obviously of your book, and uh, I covered this off in mine a little bit more so from Stoic philosophies and like Marcus Aurelius and having some sort of higher belief system. But we, yeah. we, we haven't gone that deep uh, specifically in what you cover off in Endure. So that's why I'm, I'm quite excited to link up the topic along with uh, just what well, this well, show covers off. By the way, that's, that's fine as long as we establish the second most important thing in the world. I think you alluded to it when you mentioned cookbook is, is steaks. And that this is fresh in my mind just because I was just I was, before, before our interview, I even think I showed up a few minutes late because I was Prepping yeah. dinner for tonight and putting putting steaks in a sous vide bag for dinner with some with some yuzu sauce and some shisho <laughs> leaves, which are like this minty kind of like Japanese herbaceous leaf, and uh, and doing like a like a water bath on the steaks. So I've got food on my mind right now. So Amazing. I'll, I'll, well, yeah, I'll, I'll sous vide <laughs> them and then I'll I'll take them out of the sous vide and I'll let them sit in butter for about an hour and then finish them off with a nice smoke and feed the family. Tonight, before I before I head out to Mexico tomorrow morning for the for the uh, and this is probably more along the lines of what you cover on this show. I'm going to be going down there for uh, the the Day of the Dead, the Dia de la Muerte celebration, uh, oh, and wow. I'll be attending a conference where I'll be speaking on death and meaning and legacy and memento mori and and purpose and life. And so, uh, of course, all of that needs to be fueled by a good steak, though. So now that we've gotten the important stuff out of the way, we can. Absolutely. I will. I'm, I am going to back us up though, before, because before we get into any topics, um, I always start with the same question with this show. And it's been about, almost about 300 guests now have asked this one too. So I'm, I'm wow. excited to hear your response. Um, okay. And it's just, you know, like we put all the, the stuff I mentioned in the, in the bio and the titles and all of that stuff aside, who are you? You know, like who are, who's the person right now that just for everyone uh, listening, Ben is, is walking at a nice slow pace uh, on a treadmill in case you hear that in his voice, even though I'm sure he's doing a lot of zone two training. So you probably won't notice it, but who are you, Ben? <laughs> I, I am a man walking on a treadmill right now. I, I do many <laughs> of my, my calls while walking on my office treadmill because it kind of increases the blood flow to your brain and allows you to get a little bit of a low level physical activity in throughout the day, which is nice. Uh, and I try to avoid walking so fast that I get out of breath and can't speak with, with folks like you, Mark. But who am I? I'm um, I, I, at my core. I, I'm a teacher. I'm a teacher. Um, ever since I was a kid, I loved to learn new things 
but I didn't like to just learn for the sake of learning, which is fine if that's the way you're wired up. I think that's a really magical way to live, to be intensely curious about this world and to go out and discover all of God's great creation and to be be fueled by really the, the dopaminergic response that, that that can give you. And I think that what many people discover along the way of learning new things, though, is that at the end of the day, it can become a, as, as, as many things do, uh, an unfulfilling process, right? You learn a new language and you read a thousand books and you learn tennis and pickleball and golf and how to repair a jet ski and, you know, and how to build a home in Thailand and how to build a tiny house in Kansas. And you, you can learn things all your life. But I think that at the end of the day, if some semblance of your life is not engaged with the process of loving other people in some respect, if some element of, of your ikigai, you know, taking your unique purpose and skill set in life and what you were genetically encoded to do and what brings you passion and you're not actually delivering something meaningful and impactful to the world in some respect with that ikigai, then you kind of have a hole in your soul at the end of the mm -hmm. day. And so while I certainly have always been wired up to learn new things, and I, and I love it, and I'm always leaping all over the place, sometimes annoying my friends and my family with, you know, me jumping from whatever, you know, let's use the case of physical activity, or like I was bodybuilding, and then, you know, tennis, and then water polo, and then Ironman triathlon, and then Spartan racing, and then back to tennis, and then now pickleball, you know, it, it, <laughs> it can be almost confusing to some people who who hang out with someone who's intensely curious about things. But, and this is why I have a blog and a podcast and I like to write books and I give talks. Uh, I'm a teacher, so I like to learn things, yeah. always have. But then I like to take them and package them up and teach them to other people so that other people can discover those same things that bring joy to me. And if yeah. I can wake up in the morning and rinse, wash and repeat the process of learning new things and teaching them to people, I feel really self-actualized and that's who I am. I love it. I love it. I mean, you could tell though, like it, I, I understand what you're saying in terms of, you know, people from the, from the outside or who may not know you well, or who, or who even do know you well and see, it might seem like you're jumping around, but I, I don't know. I just, I see just from even your body of work and having read many of your books, they're, they're all connected. They're, 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 but they're big, like fundamental life chapters almost in a way, right? Like boundless, obviously. And, and, and like you said earlier about like stakes and nutrition and so forth. And then now, um, I mean, you've written on spi about spirituality in the past, but like all of these things are like, seem like the big buckets to your life. And you, you're just going deep, really deep on them and packaging them away to then teach them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in a, like sometimes I tell people I'm a Christian hedonist, right? I, I am, uh, uh, I, I am a man of faith. I am a Christian. And I think that the nature of that particular religion and many religions, uh, they do sometimes almost have an excessively stoic and uh, a, uh, a, a bit of a, a lack of the Epicurean approach in which someone's just savoring and enjoying life in general. And, you know, I, I, I love to just savor and enjoy each and every aspect of God's great creation. And I do so with temperance and sobriety 
and you know, caring for my temple, as, as the Apostle Paul might say in the New Testament. But I, I certainly love to just basically live life through this lens that God made all of creation good. And one of the things that brings a smile to my creator's face is to see me running around and playing in it and enjoying it and bringing my friends along for the ride. And so, you know, that's, that's kind of the way that I look yeah. at myself from a, from a religious standpoint as a, as a Christian hedonist, philosophically sure. speaking. Well, just for people that may not know a bit of your, your backstory and so forth, just there, there's, there's a section in, early on in the book that uh, I was really intrigued about. And I, it's a pretty long paragraph, so I'm not going to you know, read the whole thing. But essentially, um, it was all about this idea that, you know, back in your uh, you know, triath- triathlon days and all the bodybuilding and so forth, and, and I just call it endurance days, um, there was all these routines, right? And you still have routines, but it seemed like it got to the point where it was like, if you didn't do the routine, like you'd almost be mentally punishing yourself in in, Mm -hmm. in a way. And I think a lot lot of people can resonate with that, especially I see that in the mental fitness space where you hear things like, oh, I didn't get my meditation in today or I didn't get my journaling in today. And it's like, well, that's kind of almost counterintuitive to the practice if it's feeling like that for you. Um, and then you, you know, in this line, I want to, I want to read that I think connects it. Got to this, this realization around spirituality and your faith and so forth that was kind of like the missing piece to go really all in. And and it, this is the line that I, re- I really like to be a true father, leader, and legacy builder for my family. I needed to apply just as much forethought, seriousness, and training to my spiritual stamina and endurance as I had been applying to my physical and mental training. When and why did that spark for you, Ben? Well, yeah, you're right, first of all, that we can become creatures of our schedules and our habits to the extent to where it really doesn't serve us and others very well, which is often a little bit of an art and a science to be able to decode in one's life. Because let's face it, there's very few impactful people who aren't somewhat creatures who adhere to a relatively strict schedule, right? Wake up and you have your sauna and your cold pool and you know, your fitness yeah. routine and your breath work and your meditation. And then you've got your Zoom calls scheduled from 10 to 1 or whatever. And, you know, and then a walking lunch and, you know, afternoon <laughs> meditation session. And then, you know, then you have your work <laughs> and your reactive time and your emails through the afternoon. And then here's your dinner schedule. And this is when you put your blue light blocking glasses on. And this is when you turn on your little cooling system underneath your sheets and maybe some of these things are a little bit more specific to the biohacking health crowd but you know we we tend to get very very involved with and married to and attached to that schedule to the point where you take a lot of impactful people these days and you tell them we're going to go camping out in the forest and it's like they need 80 pounds of shit in their backpack to be able to be happy out there because they have to just take their schedule everywhere with them and i think that you know, there there is a certain balance that needs to be found between creativity and flow and rigidity, right? Because often rigidity and adherence to rules are what can hold us back from flow, what can hold us back from a creative process, and what can even hold us back from discovering new adventures with friends and with family, mm-hmm. right? And, and that can be something as simple as 
something that happened to me last week, right? Like I love my morning sauna and ice routine and I got invited to go play pickleball instead, you know, at 7am when I normally want to be in the sauna, listening to my audiobook, doing my sweat and my down dog and then getting in the cold pool. And I went and played pickleball instead and I embraced the flow and it got me out of my routine and I had a fantastic time and I met some new How friends. How did that feel though, Ben? Was your uh, initial it, it reaction like, hell no? Oh yeah, it felt very uncomfortable. I'm like, why well, am I in the car driving, you know, 10 minutes from my house right now, and, you know, to go meet these people when all I want to do is, you know, be doing my schedule that I know is going to set me up to have a fantastic Monday. And now I, now I'm, I, I don't know what's going to happen. Is this going to ruin the day? Is the breakfast after pickleball going to be disrupted because I can't have my normal morning smoothie? And then that's going to make me not perform well in my morning podcast and then what's that going to do yeah. to lunch and when am I going to get my sauna session is if I skipped it like you get all these things rolling through your head because you know in, in a way even though we're not really tiny mammals we we respond from a dopaminergic standpoint to all of these tasks that were that were checkboxing throughout the day very much like a rodent and it can make smoke come out of our ears sometimes when we're when we're ripped out of that routine and at the same time it can also be incredibly mind expanding from a creativity process and introduce us to new adventures that really help us to grow as a person when we understand that it's okay sometimes to step out of the rigidity that does serve us very well from a productivity standpoint uh, and embrace the flow. And I think following something very close to what you might consider to be an 80-20 rule is kind of a good way to approach these things. It's like, okay, rigidity and scheduling and management and predictability is very, very good for me to be able to accomplish a lot for any given week. Mm -hmm. But I need to have those times or those days where I actually do have creative flow. I, I think that that's honestly, you know, again, coming back to my own history uh, from a Judeo-Christian standpoint, the beauty of having a Sabbath, right? Having one day set aside that's not rigid, that's not scheduled, that's totally free-flowing, that's an embracing of, of a paradise of rest and relaxation. And for me, Sundays are a very sacred day now. And I won't lie, by the time I get to the end of Sunday, I'm like a freaking rabid dog on a leash when it comes to work. I'm like, why can't I jump into the email inbox already? Why can't I start into Monday's project? What can I tackle right now? And that's kind of like how you want to feel on Monday morning. You want to wake up at like 3.59 yeah. a.m. on Monday morning and just feel ready to take on the world because you've had this full day of having the Tesla that is your body charged into its battery port all day long on Sunday. And it also means that even if you work really hard and that's the way you're wired up for six days of the week, you have that one day where you're just with friends and family and creative flow and you know, playing a musical instrument or trying a new sport out or just mm -hmm. being with people or spending a little bit of extra time in the kitchen preparing a recipe. And so I think that there's a balance between uh, rigidity and creativity, between, uh, between flow and adhering to a strict schedule. This in no way is a reply to the original question that you asked me, but it is a little bit of a rabbit hole that I think is interesting oh, it's to valuable. think about for, for all yeah, of those. I don't remember the original driven, question. It yeah, doesn't all those, matter. <laughs> all those driven, hard-charging, high achievers in life. The question that you actually asked me was how I got to the point where I realized that I wasn't feeding 
and I wasn't training and I wasn't tending to and caring for the garden of my soul in the same way that I was tending to my physical prowess or to my mental acumen or to my my business and you know my my money making abilities or my ability to be able to to grow myself professionally what happened to me was that I began to grow distant particularly from my wife who is a real spiritual warrior and who was growing each day in her faith. She would spend lots of time literally on her knees in the bedroom in the morning and then sitting in a meditation chair and I would walk in and there'd be incense burning and music playing and she'd often have little wax earplugs in so that she wasn't distracted by me and my sons going about and doing our own morning routines. And she was demonstrably tending to her spirit with the same type of ferocity that I might tackle the gym in the morning um, or that, that others might spend, you know, uh, learning a new language or, or doing something that's mentally demanding. And I was a little bit spiritually stagnant. This would have been about seven or eight years ago when it came to my own walk with God or my own consumption of, you know, spiritually demanding or, or devotional materials, my own practice of the so-called spiritual disciplines, fasting and meditation and silence and solitude and journaling and prayer and worship. And uh, for, for me as a Christian, the reading of scripture, I really treated a lot of those things like an afterthought because I was still at that ego-fed state in my career and my personal development where I kind of preferred to do things on my own power. Because let's face it, like if you wake up in the morning and you're doing like heavy Turkish get-ups with a kettlebell and high-intensity interval training routine on an airdyne bike and you know rowing 500 meters and you know crushing a mile at the track and you know and and doing a, a bit of heavy lifting on the Nautilus or crushing a CrossFit wad or whatever, it's pretty easy to finish all that and then like you know kind of wipe your hands together and and uh, go take a cold shower and jump into the day and feel like you could pretty much crush anything life's going to throw at you. And you don't need much help from God, bro, because you're <laughs> yeah. just like, you're, you're ready to crush it. And it's easy to like, go through life feeling as though you can do a lot with your own power because um, discipline equals freedom. Or as our friend Ryan Holiday just wrote about in his new book that I I'm only about a quarter of the way through. Uh, discipline, what is it called? Discipline mm -hmm. equals destiny, I believe is, is the name of that new book. And we can almost become really reliant on our own discipline and what that can bring to us to the extent to where we begin to neglect a reliance upon a higher power or devotion to tending to ourselves spiritually to the extent to where we can divine with that higher power in a much more meaningful and even a much more humble way that acknowledges the fact that we can't do it on our own, that, that there, there is a creator and that our reliance upon that creator to be able to get through the hard times in life is something that we actually need. And so what happened to me was that I began to grow distant from my wife and it got to the point where we started to get into a lot of arguments and uh, not physical altercations, but lots of emotional battles, lots of strife, lots of struggle. I wasn't uh, a good husband or a good father. I was beginning to grow distant from my family. I was just a 
pretty egotistical, like fit guy who could go out and crush competitions and, you know, and, and do a lot physically and even mentally. And from a business standpoint and financial standpoint, was doing great, but really things were not well with the family. And it took a near separation with my wife for me to realize that the only way for me to be a strong leader in the home and the only way for me to be able to withstand a lot of the trials and tribulations and struggles that life was throwing at me at the time was to be on my knees in prayer each morning, was to be seeking guidance and counsel from God each day, was to be praying before breakfast and lunch and dinner and in the morning and in the evening for for strength to be able to bring my family back together and and glue together the pieces that had kind of fallen apart as I had put business and health uh, and personal gain over the two things that I think need to come before that for any driven, hard-charging, high-achieving person who has a lot of resistance to these two aspects of life, and that's faith and family, right? I didn't realize Mm -hmm. that the foundation of faith and family must come before health, and it must come before business. And, you know, if you want to throw community and relationships in there, those are also important, but I would throw them in third, right? Faith, family, community, slash relationships is third, uh, and then health, and then business. And I think that's a really reasonable order to go when it comes to having what you need, having the foundation that you need for happiness. So I began to, back to the rigidity thing, because I am, I do really well scheduling and I do really well with, uh, you know, intentional calendaring of certain activities. I began to wake each morning about a half hour earlier and put on really, really good music and burn incense and essential oils and I had a cheesy little organic meditation cushion and I would sit on that and I would open my Bible and I would have a little devotional. I still do this now. And I'd read from the devotional and I'd read from the Bible and I'd spend about 15 minutes doing that and then start to pray. I would often do okay. breath work beforehand to kind of prime myself, which is a great way to bring yourself into a deepened spiritual experience. I'm always fasted at that point in the morning anyways. And I think that going into any type of spiritual morning experience fasted will really deepen that experience too. And so I began to carve out time each day before the workout and before the phone and before the emails and everything else to do that, with the only exception being that I find personally I think that anybody who's like me who likes to move, obviously I'm walking on the treadmill right now, so we've established that's (laughs) a fact. Uh, I'll often do a lot of like stretching and foam rolling and blood work and jumping up and down on a trampoline. I like to roll out of bed, do all of that, and then I have the coffee on the stovetop or the tea, and that's my carrot on the end of a stick for when I've gotten through that 20 to 30 minute spiritual routine that I get my coffee at the end of it, and then I get to head down to the office. So... Carving out every single morning for the building of the spiritual muscles has been transformative for me in terms of me being able to handle a lot of the stress that was coming at me in my own personal life that I was relying upon my own power to be able to handle because I wasn't building up my spiritual stamina in the way that I was building up my physical and my mental stamina. That's why I called that book in which I detail many of these habits and tips and tools and tactics that I'm using for my spiritual enhancement endure, right? Because it it allowed me literally to be able to build up the same type of endurance that I built up in things like Ironman and Spartan and whatnot, but to be able to do so physically. And that blossomed. I mean, it, it really did. Uh, For example, Mark, 
even though I would do my own personal routine around 5.30, 5.45 in the morning, you know, I now gather my family, my entire family at 7.30. And at 7.30 in the morning, we all sit on the living room floor and I play more music and we meditate for about eight minutes. We use something okay. called the Spiritual Disciplines Journal and we all begin with the Bible verse, a very encouraging verse that we read in the first three minutes. All we do is just dwell on that verse like a mantra. And I just use yeah. Insight Timer. I put it on, the whole family can hear it. And after three minutes, the little bell goes off. And then we spend the next two minutes in gratitude. Who is it that we're grateful mm -hmm. for? What is it that we're grateful for? We write that down. Then we move on to service. And for the service question, it's who can I pray for or help or serve today? So there's no personal affirmation like a me, 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 I, 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 I'm yeah. good, I'm great, I'm wonderful, and gosh darn it, people like me. It's instead that others-facing way to start the day. So who can I pray for, help, or serve that day? And that can be uh, you know, going and checking in on the neighbor. It could be calling my mom. It could be encouraging an employee who I know needs help. It could be sending flowers to someone randomly. It could be, you know, I now use a, an app called Text Magic in which I have certain lists of people who I've committed to help on. And so I'll send out an encouraging uh -huh. like image, you know, like a, like, like a, a word or a quote or whatever to my, to my list on text magic like today the what i sent to them because usually i'll text them about once a week was encouraging them to break the rules in some aspect of their creative routine on this day on on monday so to you know start an article by writing the summary first or to hold a tennis racket with a different grip or to yeah. cook uh, a meal in a way they never cooked it before and so i'll just send out little things like that to help to make people's day better but that's an example of something i'd write down in the service section and then we finish okay. that morning routine with tapping, which is based on neuro-linguistic programming. Yeah. So for me, it's right over my heart. I'll tap 15 to 20 times, and that sets an anchor so that later on in the day, if you're stressed out, you can tap on that same section, and it kind of brings your body back into that state of stress or de-stress and bliss and peace that you were experiencing during the morning meditation. It sets an anchor, a physical anchor that you can return to even if you don't have the time to meditate. And then what we do after that is we all take a deep breath in and then exhale any last little bits of stress out. We say uh, the Lord's Prayer together. So we just recite that simple prayer. And then we have like a big team huddle. We hug, we you know check in on the day, what time's dinner, you know, what are the boys doing today, what time's tennis, what time's jujitsu, Jessa, where are you going here? And, and when are we gonna meet at the end of the day? And then it's kind of like that team huddle and clap, and we all go our separate directions. And if, if no family member sees each other the rest of the day, we have that coming together at the beginning yeah. of the day, which has been really foundational for our family. And then at the very end of the day, we have a family dinner. We gather before dinner. My sons and I are always going through a book together. So I asked them a bunch of questions from the chapter of the book that we covered that day. I'm actually thinking about doing the Discipline is Destiny book next, by the way, Okay. Uh, as, as our next book we're working through one called Tactics right now, which is a book on uh, apologetics and rhetoric and argumentation. So I'll chat with the family for about 10 minutes before dinner. Then we play a song. Typically, we're all cooking dinner together, so we're gathered in the kitchen anyway, laughing and talking and telling stories and going through the book chapter. Uh, we bust out dinner. We play games all through family dinner, card games, board games, uh, you know, have chats, whatever. Dinner here is glorious. It's like an hour long affair of us just like hanging out and partying together as a family. And then Amazing. The, 
the final spiritual piece, so the final two spiritual pieces is after dinner, and this is all related to, to kind of like treating your spiritual walk the same way you treat your physical fitness routine or your mental training routine, your business routine. So after dinner, once the kitchen is clean, we all gather in my son's bedroom. They're 14 now, uh, but they're still in the same bedroom and they're, they're twin boys. And we, uh, we open up those spiritual disciplines journals again. And this time after we've started into about a minute or two of breath work, we do the process of self-examination, which is a very powerful practice that, that you know, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, philosophers and even some of the Stoics that you talk about, you know, Benjamin yeah. Franklin, a lot of people do this practice of evening self-examination, which you close your eyes and you replay your entire day, like a story in your mind, often watching yourself in the third person as a character acting at a movie. And so we all do that together. What did we do when we woke up? Who did we speak with? What do we have for breakfast? How do we tackle our morning work and routine? You know, what do we do for, for lunch? How do we spend our afternoon? Who did or didn't we talk to during the day? You know, everything. You play your entire day like a movie in your mind. We do that for about two or three minutes and we reply to three questions. What good have I done this day? Uh, what could I have done better this day? Meaning, you know, identifying failures that may have built us or that we learned from. And then finally, where was I most purpose-filled today? You know, back to that concept mm -hmm. of ikigai. You know, what, and that really, really helps, especially, you know, young men like my sons identify those things they did during the day that felt most purpose-filled. You know, each member of our family has honed and written our own purpose statement, which of course may change as your life progresses, but we can say it in one single succinct sentence. And if at the end of the day, we find ourselves struggling to answer that question of what we found to be most purpose-filled, then, you know, it's a pretty good indication that in the spirit of how we live our days is how we live our lives. We may need to yeah. reorient our day so that we actually are engaged in purpose-filled activities. And so we do that. Uh, typically, I'll play a little song on the guitar, kiss the boys to bed. And then the last element of the spiritual routine is my wife and I every night, the very last thing we do when our heads hit the pillow, even if it's literally like in total exhaustion, fumbling for words, as I fall asleep, I, I say a prayer for the family and I say a prayer for my wife and I, and then I, I fall asleep. And, you know, when, when I get out of bed about 4.30 or 5 the next morning, get up and, and head down to the living room to stretch and start that, that morning spiritual care routine again. And, uh, and yeah, long, long reply to your question, I realized, but, but that's kind of like what changed, what affected that change. And just a, a few little examples of how I've now woven a little bit more attention to the spiritual disciplines uh, throughout my life in, in a little bit of a, of a scheduled way. Yeah. Hello, friends. Given you're here, I'm making the assumption that you're motivated to be mentally fit. So with that in mind, I want to let you know about the Better Questions newsletter, which publishes once or twice a month, providing all of us the opportunity to slow down, think, and ask better questions. As you know, quality questions are my thing, and this is an opportunity to share the prompts I've studied and curated to help our minds be healthier, clearer, more intentional, and expand our mental capacity. You can sign up over at BehindTheHuman.com slash newsletter, which will also give you a preview of my debut book, Personal Socrates. That's BehindTheHuman.com slash newsletter. Now back to the show. Well, it just, I, I mean, I, there, there's, thank you for, for the detail because I've got about a million questions off of that, but I'll, I'll keep it brief. Um, 
what comes to mind though, Ben, is just, it, it, it's this balance again, because there's obviously a routine that is helping, you know, form some structure and make sure that these practices take place. But then the practices themselves are prompts and, and, and rituals that actually break the autopilot, right? Those que- from what I'm gathering, those questions like stop us, especially, and what a, what a great gift to give to your boys uh, growing up. And we need more of this because they're definitely not, you know, and I, as yeah. a, a dad, kids, they're not taught this if for the most part until a later age. Yeah. Uh, There's other questions right? you can ask too. Like, well, sometimes we'll change it up. You know, for yeah. example, one we did for 30 days was just, uh, what did I learn about myself today? Like we changed the, uh, the evening one for just, sure. what did I learn about myself today? And that, that's really interesting to do for 30 days as well, because it forces you via that process of self-examination to, to know thyself just a little bit better. And, you know, as, as Gabor Mate, who's kind of a modern day psychologist who I, I follow yeah. a little bit, you know, he defines trauma as a disconnection from true self. Well, it's very difficult to be disconnected from your true self if you are engaged in that process of daily self-examination or if you're even asking yourself at the end of the day a question like that, like, what did I learn about myself? Because it does really allow yourself to, to know yourself better. Yeah. But it also just, it, again, it gives us, this is what I, why I love questions so much, because they, they give us the luxury of a pause. Because without asking that, that question, you just you just rinse into the next day and you've left all of this insight, you know, or yeah. potential insight on the table. And that's when you start missing things. And I, I know you're a fan of James Clear. He's, he's been on the show as well. Like, and, and I'm borrowing this from him. But this is where you get to the top of the mountain. And you're like, shit, I climbed the wrong mountain. It's like, how did that yeah. happen? Like, if, you know, how did I get yeah. there? But it's those little yeah. micro pauses where you can course correct. Yes. And you didn't climb the wrong mountain. You, you climbed the mountain that was part of the great story that was written for sure. your life, but you climbed the mountain that you didn't realize was the mountain. You know, it's yeah. God draws straight with crooked lines. You know, the path to whatever the mountain is, is a zigzagging path that may indeed involve other mountains, sure. other peaks. But yeah, every, everyone, I think somewhere between the age of about 25 and 40 climbs the mountain that they think is the right mountain gets to the top of that mountain and realizes either with joy or trepidation, oh, look, off in the distance, <laughs> there's the mountain that will bring more meaning to my life, more impact to the world and allow me to love others and love God even more fully than I have in this climb. Yeah. What if the, I mean, obviously you're, and this is the the, the topic of, of Endure, but so one of the topics, obviously spirituality and, and for you, that's uh, being a Christian, and for others that might be other religions and so forth. For me, you know, I I I have Ryan Holiday's books beside my coffee machine, or or Robert Green, and like for me in the morning, that's the perspective shift that that I need, or to start the day thriving and so forth. But what I really liked about anything that you've written in the, in this book is just the idea that having a higher belief system or something you know bigger than yourself and how that can help with temptation. This, mm-hmm. it, like, I never thought of temptation the way that, that how intertwined, like it's everything, whether it's, you know, whether it's uh, sexual tr- uh, temptations and relationships or temptations with food or thought, like everything, to me at least, links to some sort of temptation. And, uh, and you talked about this n- nicely about like how we're always essentially looking for that dopamine and serotonin hit, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, or, or the dopamine yeah. fulfillment. So why don't you just, yeah, just tell people a little bit about just that link for you and, yeah. and, and what sure. you wrote about. 
Yeah. By the way, I thought you said copy machine, the book by your copy machine. And <laughs> no, no, I have copy. an image of you with the giant <laughs> Xerox in your kitchen, uh, wondering who the heck has a copy machine at their house these days. Uh, coffee. <laughs> I, I speak that language. That's much better. Okay. Yeah. So you yeah, yeah. I'm just making copies of Ryan's book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a uh, coffee beans, not Xerox. So yeah. you know, let's use, um, sure. Let's, let's use sexual temptation as an example, uh, of where something like a dependency or a belief in a higher power or absolute morality or a set of universal truths might actually help you in that type of scenario. Uh, ladies, I'm sorry, but I'm a man. So let's use, use me as a male, as an example. Um, and, and th this, this might at first seem like a little bit of a disconnect, but you'll see where I'm going with this. Um, let's say that I'm sexually tempted when I'm traveling. Um, I, I often am, you know, I speak at conferences. A lot of times they're health and fitness conferences with, you know, hot and healthy and fit ladies and, you know, and I'm, and so when I'm in that environment, I'm supposed to be, you know, the, the fitness icon, the guru, the, you know, the alpha male. And I will have women who will slip me their hotel room key or write down their phone number on a slip of paper or, you know, ask me what I'm doing later that evening. And, you know, you get the whole, let's go watch Netflix on the couch type of scenario. And, you know, it's, it is difficult. And, um, there were even, you know, and, and this actually was related to uh, the the initial fallout between my wife and I that I alluded to earlier was I, I did succumb to temptation several times. And that, that's one of the things that was beginning to rip apart our marriage. And now I can tell you that that by the grace of God, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I am I am not tempted in the least. I mean, I'm, I'm, well, I should say I am tempted in that opportunities present themselves, but I do not succumb to that temptation. And the reason for that is because I have created a greater why. And this is important. Uh, mm. For example, we worked with a foundation called the Legato Family Foundation. And what that family foundation does is it brands your family. We have a giant book that is our entire Greenfield family playbook. It's our family mission statement, our family values, our family crest, our, our family banking officers, uh, what we do on Christmas and Easter and Thanksgiving, when my sons go through their rite of passage into adolescence, when a Greenfield man goes through rite of passage into adulthood, uh, the family hex colors for each individual member of the family, the family spirit animals. Imagine a business branding book, but that for a family. We have woven wow. in over the past four years or so a deep sense of legacy in terms of a desire to make the Greenfield name great or at least specifically create generational wealth and meaning and impact for my sons, my son's sons, my great-grandchildren and beyond. There are flags that fly the Greenfield logo that hang outside the front door. There's the Greenfield family crest hanging over the fireplace. If you come over to our house and have a glass of wine, you'll be picking your glass of wine up off the Greenfield family coasters, you know, and the Greenfield throw <laughs> pillows and hats and hoodies. And what that means is that when I'm approached by a woman at a bar at a conference who wants to sleep with me, that short-term pleasure is in no way anywhere near palatable to me as the long-term legacy that I'm building to make the family great. And I realize 
the extent to which the short-term pleasure and a 30-second orgasm could rip apart not only my own life, but the entire legacy for generations and generations beyond. Now back to your uh, mm. question related to the concept of a higher power. Well, if we deny absolute truth, if we deny the existence of a higher power, if we deny the existence of absolute morality, then legacy doesn't matter. We're all a bunch of chunks of flesh and blood flying on a giant rock through space, seeing who can, you know, fuck the most and have the biggest houses and have the most cars and, you know, make the most money and, and you know, have the most followers on Instagram. And there would be no reason to build legacy because when it's over, it's over. Who cares? But if you have a, a, a belief in a higher power and you acknowledge there's a greater story written for your life and there are certain rules for life that lend order and societal stability to our existence. And then you begin to weave those concepts into your life because you believe in that higher power and you develop a sense of legacy and you develop a sense of truth and commitment and fidelity and discipline and everything that brings forth that legacy, then you all of a sudden have created a fabric, a structure that empowers and enables you to resist temptation, even though you may not ever experience the absence of it, you're far more empowered to be able to yeah. handle it. You know, the scripture says that, that uh, in, in the Bible, it says God will not throw any temptation at you, that he doesn't also give you the capability to handle. Or we see things like, well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But that doesn't mean you sit on your hands and just say, well, temptation comes, I'll be ready because God has given me everything I need. No, it's like you, 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 you take God's advice and you, you build a legacy and you follow his law and you honor your father and mother and you, you, you take your children and you train them up in the ways of wisdom and discipline and teach them about legacy. And all these things kind of come together, right? It's a combination of believing in a higher power, but then also chopping wood and carrying water in the way that that higher power has dictated. And when you put that together, that's when you're in a situation in which not only temptation becomes easier to resist, but any struggle that life might throw at you becomes easier to manage because you have a, a set of rules to live by, you know? Yeah, you're not just, you're not in a, a rudderless boat, essentially, you know, in the ocean. That's uh, right. I love that. You've given me, definitely given me a lot to think about as, uh, as the champagne family over here grows and, and evolves and, and, and whatnot. Wow. Um, there's so many different, uh, you know, avenues I could take, but I, I obviously, I want to respect your time and we're, we're getting near, um, the end of our, our time together. So I I'd love to just, you yeah, know, start I've, the I've wrap. Still got about 10 minutes or so if you need it. Sure. Well, I mean, I'd love to just understand, you know, like what, what truly makes you smile each day? Hmm. But, <laughs> it, it'll, it'll, it'll vary from day to day. Um, I think that you know back 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 to that that idea of of hedonism. Um, you know the the things that make me smile are probably no surprise to people because they're the same type of dopaminergic triggers that would cause many people to smile, right? Music and food and yeah. sex and children and and laughter and the like. But I would say probably the, the major things that are repeated habits that make me smile is uh, I, I have a, a friend whose name is Paul Check. He's kind of a fitness icon, and he says oh, yeah. that, that many of us has, have forgotten to dream and to sing and to dance. 
And so for those morning meditations that we do as a family, typically two or three of them during the week involve playing a song very loud over the house speaker system and dancing and weaving and singing and bouncing and almost having our own little ecstatic dance party around the kitchen table. And I would do that whether or not I had children. I will do that for the rest of my life. You don't have to do it every day. But dancing to music at some point early in the day is a really, really good habit to weave into your life. And that's, that's one happiness-inducing habit that I have. The next would be these, uh, these family dinners that we have. I would say the best $25 that I spend each month is when I take my sons to Barnes & Noble. And we all pick out a game together. And then we, we go home and sometimes we will use the internet to check out the rating of the game and make sure it has a good review. And, you know, it's not one of those crappy, you know, poorly designed games that hasn't been beta tested heavily and, you know, need, need some tweaking. And, and we're actually having done this now for nearly 10 years, we can tell straight out of the box, whether a game is well designed or not. There are even certain <laughs> okay. like game designers and production companies who will go with, cause we know that they heavily vet their games and a lot of people have played them by the time we get them. Uh, but, uh, you know, we'll go get whatever, exploding kittens or unstable unicorns or monstrosity or wavelength or fuzzy logic or 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 uh, or even some old school ones like scrabble or boggle or scattergories for example and we play nearly every night we allow for one dinner night that's just discussing catching up my sons are homeschooled so you know that includes a big discussion about their current passions and interests and desires because the way that we homeschool them is that we let them fill us in on what it is that they're interested in and then in the in the spirit of trying to enable them to be as self-actualized as possible we simply surround them with all the tutors the books the travel the games the the toys the website, anything that they need to be able to pursue that mm. passion. And of course, in order to do that, there has to be touch points woven in throughout the week where it's basically like, okay, how'd this week go? What are you guys looking forward to? Any new things you yeah. want to know about that mom and dad can help you to discover or learn, et cetera. But besides that one night of the week that allows us to kind of feed that stuff into their, their unschooling slash homeschooling scenario, we have these massive game nights and we play typically for an hour. Again, like I mentioned earlier, right after we've all cooked dinner together and we just, so every night at our house is like a glorious party. And sometimes, you know, other people from town are invited and, and we typically throw a massive dinner party about once every two weeks where it's just a, a ragtag group of, you know, Island of Misfit Toys-esque folks from the local community, entrepreneurs and house cleaners and, 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 you know, and car mechanics, just everybody in our lives. We just invite them all over and we throw a giant feast, right? Because I, the guy who writes cookbooks and is in the nutrition industry, I inevitably often have a lot of steaks and chicken and bone broth and all sorts Full of circle. cuts in the, in the freezer. <laughs> so I got to figure out a way to feed people. So we have these dinner parties, so the family dinner parties, and then the bigger dinner parties, in addition to the morning dance parties would be a source of joy. And I would say that the, uh, the last thing that brings me joy, I'll give you something that's, that's new that I just kind of recently started doing of late. Um, and it's related to male friendship, not only with my sons, but with other males. I've realized that sometimes males tend to look at females and the way that they structure their relationships and their friendships. And they like do a lot of things together. And I'll stereotype here. You know, they go to the cocktail bar together or they go do, uh, you know, get a pedicure together and chat or that, you know, they have little dinner parties and talk, talk, talk and all, all that's fine. But a lot of times males bond over shared experiences that don't necessarily involve us like 
engaged in heavy discourse or putting ourselves under the pressure of having yeah. to engage in conversation the whole time. So I will like, I'll call up friends and just say, Hey, you want to go for a walk? But we'll literally just be like listening to each of our own separate audiobooks and going for a walk together. Or I'll grab my sons and say, you guys got a stack of books like I do. All right, let's go hit the sauna for an hour. And we'll just sit on the floor of the sauna all together reading books, like sharing an experience together. And it's actually, it, 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 it kind of works. It's odd. Or, or another example would be the gym, right? I'll ask one of my friends now to hit the gym, but we aren't doing a workout together. We're just at the gym at the same time sharing that experience. Yeah. And it's almost kind of freeing because sometimes you want to be in your own space and you got these books you want to catch up on or podcasts or audiobooks, but at the same time, you know that you know, it's good for you to be with other people. And of course, this habit involves a coming together, a greeting, sharing an experience together, even if you're not doing the same thing together, and then uh, some form of a, a departure greeting and a farewell, and then you're off to the rest of your day. And I think giving yourself permission, especially as a male, to understand that, oh, like, I can engage in shared experiences. I don't necessarily have to pe have people all up in my business the whole time, you know, and I can yeah. still kind of kind of do my own thing. But it's it's something that surprisingly, I've found some meaning derived from and it's allowed me to kind of like passively build friendships in ways that I would have otherwise resisted until I'd given myself the permission to just share an experience without the pressure of having it have to be like intense dialogue the entire time. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. I mean, you are one fascinated human, Mr. Greenfield. I, I speaking experiences, I, I have to thank you for this one. You've uh, you can probably see it uh, in, in just in the video. I mean, my mind is is spinning in the sense of things I'd like to try with my own family and different little rituals and routines to in, inject my own routine and so forth. It's um, it's been really a, a very mentally stimulated conversation, and and I want to thank you for that. Um, first and foremost, but then also just, you know, you being you and uh, you've, you've said this in other interviews, but just like embracing almost like your embracing your weird, let's just say it and trying new things and doing things against the grain and so forth that are helping so many people around the world. So thank you for that. Oh, well, you're welcome. Of course, that's that comes as no surprise to people, right? There's the the deathbed moments, right? I, I wish I'd chosen to be happier. I wish I'd chosen my emotions and then or chosen to show my emotions uh, more readily. I wish I'd worked less. I wish I'd stayed in touch with old friends. And then the fifth is I wish I'd chosen to be my true authentic self rather than who the world expected me to be. And I wish more people would just like embrace their weird self. And yeah, you're going to yeah. do a lot of things wrong and you're going to live half your life with imposter syndrome. But it's kind of fun to live your life with imposter syndrome and just kind of, you know, break into something new and learn the rules as you go. And, and uh, you know, as I said on the pickleball court the other day, hey, you know, that shot doesn't exist or didn't exist, but it does now. So there you go. <laughs> well said. Well said. Thanks, Ben. All right. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. 